Good morning. I promise you I'm not texting. I'm pulling something up. Um, <laughs> let me make a real quick text real quick. Uh, no. No, no, no. If you haven't availed yourself to the class on Sunday morning, I would encourage you to do so. Now, I'll admit, I bit off more than I could chew this morning. Um, so if you, if you happen to walk in class, like, I don't know, halfway through, don't assume that what I am teaching is the view that I hold, right? Because right now what we're doing is we're going over uh, three different, I guess you could call them doctrines, theological perspectives, uh, Calvinism, Arminianism, and Provisionism. Uh, and so the reason we're going over these is so that you can be aware of these, right? Because there are other denominations, there are other people that have these different theological positions, right? So it's important for us to be aware of these, to know what they think, so that we can have conversations, right? How are we going to have a conversation with them about these doctrinal things if you do not know what they believe, right? So if you walk in in the middle of class, don't just assume that what I'm teaching is what I believe, okay? Because we were talking about Calvinism this morning. I don't subscribe to Calvinism. That being said, uh, that, that, that's what we're covering. We're going over what Calvinists would believe, and then I respond to it. That being said, it, it's your lucky day for those of you who read from the King James Version. Could I get a raise of hands? How many of you still read from the KJV? Wow. Yeah, that's actually more than I thought there would be. The good old King James. Well, John chapter 7. John chapter 7. If I can get there. All right. Jesus says, If any man thirst, from the King James Version, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Verse 40. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the Scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees or of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night being one of them, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. Right, sometimes I like to read from the King James Version because the older English tickles me uh, sometimes. It's, it's always interesting the way they phrase things. And more than just uh, sometimes I read it just to see what the old English says. Uh, it's kind of relevant to what we're going to cover next week. The passage that we're going to cover, it's John chapter 7, verses 53 through John 8, verse, I believe it is 11. That text, if you, if you have a King James Version, it likely does not include brackets around it. Right? So if you have a, a newer version, if you have an ESV, if you have an NIV, if you have an NLT, any of those, right? you're going to see brackets around that block of text, and it'll say something like, the earliest manuscripts do not include John 7.53 through John 8, verse 11. Uh, and so the reason I bring this up, and part of the reason why I read out of uh, the King James Version today is to illustrate that how Scripture... How our, how our knowledge of the manuscript has influenced what we think of Scripture. 
right? And so next week, we're going to deal with this question, well, should we, should we believe that John 7:53 through 8:11 really happened? Right? Because the reality is it wasn't included in the earliest manuscripts, our best manuscripts. So should we believe that that is part of Scripture? Should we not? And so the King James Version, the reason I bring this up is King James Version is based on not as good manuscripts. We have earlier manuscripts now, and so that's why in the newer manuscripts you see brackets around some text and around some verses. Uh, but other than that, sometimes the King James Version is always fun to revisit. And you can see where I got the inspiration for the title. Never man spake. I love that phrase. Never man spake. And last week, as we covered, I'm going to switch back to the ESV, okay? I'm, I'm not going to read the King James Version for that long. So last week we read that Jesus, he was in the temple in the middle of this feast, and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And in response to this proclamation, as you saw in verses 40 through 52, the Jews, they continue to debate, well, what should we make of Jesus? Right? Should we believe in him, or is this some man that should be killed? And the officers present, right, those who were called upon to arrest Jesus, well, they readily realize that never man spake. No one has ever spoken like Jesus. Why is that? Why is that? And we're going to answer that question as we kind of walk backward through the text. So look at verses 45 through 52. John 7, verse 45, it says, The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? Right? Remember back in verse 32, it said the Pharisees, they heard the crowd muttering these things about him. Right? The crowd, they were starting to believe in him. And the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. So they didn't like it. They didn't like that people were believing in Jesus, so they send officers to arrest or seize him. And it's interesting, right, how throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, we see the Pharisees, you know, they get other people to do their dirty work, so to speak. I mean, why not do it yourself? Why not confront Jesus yourself? Why not ask him yourself? Maybe because they're cowardly. It could be a number of reasons. But it's interesting in this text, the way it presents it. Look at this. John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 14. Verses 14 through 36 that seems to be the middle of the feast. All right, so John chapter 7, verse 14, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. So from there, all the way to verse 36, mind you that in verse 32, the Pharisees asked the officers to arrest them. That's the middle of the feast. Right, so somewhere in the middle of the week. And then verse 37, that's on the last day of the feast. Jesus stands up and cries out, if anyone thirsts, come to me. So why do I bring this? Well, in the text, it seems like the Pharisees, they ask these officers to arrest Jesus a few days before Jesus stands up and speaks on the last day. So the officers who were sent to arrest Jesus, they haven't arrested him. And it doesn't seem to be a matter of not enough time, because it seems like they had a few days to arrest him. I think that's why the, the Pharisees ask him in verse 45, why did you not bring him? <laughs> You've had a few days. Now maybe, maybe, like we talked about last week, maybe this has to do with the authority Jesus had. Verse 30, so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Maybe it's because of the authority he has. 
Jesus has authority to lay down his life. To, he, he's arrested because he has authority. He dies because he has authority. He's raised because he has authority. Maybe that's what's going on. But take a look at how the officers respond to the Pharisees. Verse 46. The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. This is new, right? What Jesus says is unique. Nobody speaks like him. This verse really could be translated, never has a human spoken like this. Maybe they're implying like, uh, no, no, no ordinary, man, ordinary man would claim these things. Nobody does. Nobody has claimed what Jesus has claimed. Nobody is like him. He is completely unique. In response to this idea, in response to the idea that Jesus is completely unique, there are some people who would say, well, what about the other messiahs? Weren't there other messiahs during Jesus' time? How is Jesus unique, right? There are other people who claimed what he claimed, right? Sure, there were other messiahs. Oh, yeah. There were people who claimed to be the messiah, but not like Jesus. Are the other messiahs around his time, give or take her a few hundred years, they, they were Jews concerned about gathering together a band of Jews as an army to rise up against the Romans, to squash the Romans, and to establish themselves as an earthly power. So yeah, sure, there were other messiahs at the time. But those other messiahs, they were killed by Rome, and they remained dead. Jesus was killed, according to his will. And Jesus was raised, according to his will. Right? And when the, when the other, other messiahs died and remained dead, their followers scattered. But Jesus' followers, yeah, sure, they scattered for a brief time, but then they went on to grow and spread like wildfire. Right, see, it's really a failed attempt. I'm sure maybe you've heard this. There will be some people who try to discredit Jesus by saying he's not unique. There are other people who claim to be Messiah. Not like Jesus. Not like Jesus. The others were nothing compared to him. The others were concerned about earthly power conquering by an army but Jesus conquered by his sacrifice, his death, and his resurrection. There are no messiahs like Jesus. Jesus is completely unique. Never man spake. And some people, if that doesn't work, some people will uh, complain, well, what about other religious historical figures? Right? Surely there are other people in history, religious figures, that claim the same thing Jesus has and some people make the ill-informed statement that they all basically claim the same thing. If somebody thinks that Jesus claimed the same thing as other major world religions or as other major uh, world religious leaders, they don't know what he claimed. And the people, they'll focus on, you know, maybe a few moral principles, right? These world religions, they have similar moral principles, therefore they all basically say the same thing. That couldn't be further from the truth. See, other world religions, think about this. Other world religions, this could be said a few different ways. They claim that they, they have the way, they know the way that one should live in order to be in right relationship with God or gods, depending on their polytheistic or monotheistic beliefs. 
Now, a caveat is not all major world religions believe in deity, though all treat something like deity. Really, I challenge you, consider. Consider what other world religions believe. Consider what other uh, major historical religious figures have taught. They say, here's the way. Here's the way to salvation. Here's the way that you live in order to be saved, though they disagree on what salvation is. Here's what you do. Really, I challenge you. Take a look at all other world religions, all other historical religious figures, and what it boils down to is salvation by works. Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way. Jesus is not pointing to something apart from himself. He says, I'm the way. Salvation is about the who, not the what. I'm the way. I'm the only way that you can have right relationship with God. You cannot earn your salvation. You are saved by grace through faith, not by works. See, never man spake. No one has spoken like Jesus. No one has made the claims that Jesus has made. The officers in our text, they're right. And of course, the Pharisees, they respond in verse 47. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Now the Pharisees, as we discussed last week, they like to make use of rhetorical questions. Uh, They ask rhetorical questions and they're implying an obvious answer. Have you also been deceived? Their answer is, apparently you have. Obviously you've been deceived. They continue in verse 48. It says, have any of the authorities or of the Pharisees believed in him? Oh, this is kind of a slap in the face, kind of, right? Have any of us? Have the authorities believed in Jesus? We haven't been deceived. You should follow our, 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 you should follow us. We're not the dummies, right? It's kind of a slap in the face. We haven't believed in him, but you apparently been deceived. And the statement here in verse 48 is a little bit ironic. Uh, Nicodemus, though he might not believe, he's about to speak up in a little. Nicodemus, he's at least sympathetic. It's also ironic because what we see in John chapter 12, John chapter 12, verse 42, it says, Nevertheless, many of, even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Well, apparently some of the Pharisees end up do believing in him. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Not only the Pharisees, not only the authorities, some of them start to believe, but the priests begin to believe. A great many of the priests begin to come to faith. So to say the least, verse 48, the Pharisees are going to eat their words. Right? Verse 49, John chapter 7. But this crowd, they double down. But this crowd that's been listening to Jesus, this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. They would go as far as cursing the whole crowd. You people who don't know the law, you're cursed. Now this is the only time that this word here is used in the New Testament, this word translated as accursed. And I would hesitate to try and give you an English equivalent. Um, It's not a nice word, all right? It's not a nice word. And notice what they emphasize. 
since you don't know the law. Since this crowd doesn't know the law, they're, they're accursed. And see, here's one major issue. One major issue with self-righteous people then and today is that they are more concerned about knowing right and wrong rather than knowing God. They're more concerned about knowing the law rather than knowing God. Like church, yes, God gave the Israelites a law. He gave them a law that they were to live by, but God never intended for them to make the law their God. In contrast to what they say, verse 49, but this crowd that doesn't know the law is a curse. Contrast to what they say to what Jesus says in verse 28, that last bit there. He says to them, He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. You're so hyper-focused on the law. You're so concerned about knowing the law that you do not know God. You do not know God. Nicodemus steps in, verses 50 and 51. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first uh, giving him a hearing and learning what he does? He's the voice of reason, right? He's speaking up. Right? He points out, uh, according to their law, we should at least hear him first. And this seems to be drawing from Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It says, And I charge your judges at that time, Hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring it to me and I will hear it. Right? Nicodemus, he points to their own law. But according to our own law, the law that you think you follow, we shouldn't be too rash to judge. We shouldn't be too quick to judge. We ought to hear them out. You're kind of breaking the law. Of course, the Pharisees, they respond as you think they would. Verse 52. They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Again, another rhetorical question. This one's more of a jab at Nicodemus. Why are you sympathetic? You're not one of them. You're not a Galilean. You're one of us. You're one of the religious elites. Why are you sympathetic? And they encourage him, hey, search and see. Look. Look at our Scriptures. Look at our Scriptures. No prophet arises from Galilee. Now, this is either a misunderstanding or they are just completely ignoring the fact that Jesus was indeed born in Bethlehem. We're going to get to that in a second. But what's of primary importance? Verses 45 through 52, what's of primary importance is the response from the officers. Never man spake. No one has spoken like Jesus, keeping in mind what they're, what's immediately on their minds, what Jesus just said, verses 37 and 38, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. As we talked about last week, Jesus offers life to anyone. And he's been clear with them. He's been clear with them that he is the way to God. He's been clear with them that they do not know God if they do not come to him and believe in him. 
But why? Why has no one spoken like Jesus? I think verses 40 through 44 give an answer. Verse 40, it says, When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. So why has no one spoken like Jesus? Because he is the prophet. Deuteronomy chapter 18. I imagine they have this text in mind. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your brothers. It is him you shall listen to. Skip down to verses 21 and 22. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord is not, or the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet that has spoken it presumptuously, you need not be afraid of him. So Jesus is the prophet. He's the prophet that Moses prophesied of. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed that he would be killed and that he would be raised. And it came to pass. Right As Moses says, how can you know if this is really the prophet? If what they prophesize comes to pass. Jesus said I would be killed. Jesus said I would be raised. It came to pass. Verses 41 and 42, back to John chapter 7. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Are they questioning? They question whether or not Jesus really is the Christ. They question whether or not he actually was from Bethlehem. Sure, Jesus, he was from Nazareth. That's where he grew up. But he was born in Bethlehem. They question it. We have the benefit of hindsight. We have this. We can see. We can know that Jesus was indeed born in Bethlehem. They have a few prophecies in mind. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah 5, verse 2, it says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me. One is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Now, they would definitely have this verse in mind when it comes to the Messiah. Right? This one who's to come from ancient of days, the Messiah. And where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. And again, either, either the Pharisees are just completely, they, they don't know it, or they're ignoring it. Based on their track record, I would be inclined to believe that they're probably just ignoring the fact that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They just focus on where he's from. You came from Nazareth. Or that poor area, right? No prophet's going to come from there. I think they just ignored the fact that he was indeed born in Bethlehem. Isaiah chapter 11, this is another prophecy that's probably in mind. Isaiah 11 verses 1 and 2. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Matthew chapter 1. The full genealogy of Jesus, a descendant from David. We know this. Jeremiah chapter 23, and this is one last prophecy they probably have in mind. Jeremiah 23, in my opinion, the most convicting of them all. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He shall reign as king and deal wisely and execute 
justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Huh. The Lord is our righteousness. Where, where have you heard that? The Lord is, is our righteousness. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him who, to be sin, who knew not sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. I know that for some people this doesn't mean much. Taking a look at the prophecies in the Old Testament and then seeing how Jesus is the fulfillment of them in the New Testament. I know for some people it doesn't mean much. For some people they say, well, that could have been made up. Uh, for some people, they don't realize that the Old Testament prophecies were written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was actually on earth. So why has no one spoken like Jesus? Why has no one spoken like Jesus? I'm not sure where you are. I don't know if you, if you really trust the validity of Scripture. I don't know if you believe these prophecies. I guess that's between you and God. But to answer why has no one ever spoken like Jesus, one, because he is the prophet prophesied. Two, he is the Messiah, he is the Christ from the seed of David born in Bethlehem. No one has spoken like him. No one claims what he claims. No one has done what he has done. Nobody, nobody makes the promises that he has made. And no one can fulfill the promises that he has made besides him. He made a promise of true life. He made a promise of eternal life. A promise that only he can fulfill. Never man spake. So listen. If you can as we stand and sing.